0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of Better Off, and today we're talking about risks that exist in the government.
1: There are five times more people working in the civil service who are over the age of 60 than they are under the age of 30. Most of the technology is ancient, and we're throwing a lot of money to kind of trying to keep legacy systems kind of chugging along when really where they need new systems.
0: Welcome to the Better Off podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor well we're dropping this on the Thursday before the midterms and while we are not really a political podcast by any stretch of the imagination we're more of a money podcast what's fascinating is to hear just what has occurred in the last couple of years at various parts of the government and for that we have a special guest a return guest Michael Lewis you know him as the best-selling author of the undoing project that was the one about the behavioral finance liars poker flash boys moneyball the blind side the big short you know all that stuff his new book is called the fifth risk and it really goes deep into three different departments of the federal government to see what has gone on in the last two years so here's our interview with Michael Lewis
1: You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Michael Lewis, welcome back to the program. How are you?
1: Uh, You know, never better.
0: Never better. That's amazing. So the first time you were on, we were talking about behavioral finance, which is one of my favorite topics. The second time you were on, we were talking about one of your articles that you had written. And now one of those articles joined another article in this new book called The Fifth Risk. So I got to say, I'm a little depressed reading this book. Yeah. You're bringing me down.
1: Yeah. Well, so I could argue with that. Not, All right. I can argue with that emotion.
0: Hold on. Before you do that, let me interject one thing. I shouldn't say this because I think we have a lot of federal employees who listen to the program. And so the what got me down was a just an absolute disregard for how professional so many of these people are.
1: You're not just professional, passionate. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the thing that should get you up. The society has... Kind of dumped on the federal workforce for the for the last three decades, the political process sells this idea that it's a, it's a they're lazy or or stupid or not incentivized properly or you know it's just a it's it's a drag on the, the government's a drag on the society. Every time one of those political people actually gets in a position of having to I don't know run the Department of Energy, uh, or encounter the Department of Agriculture or 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 have a conversation with the department of transportation they come away saying they always come away saying i can't believe how good those people are and the, the book is laced with people who've come out of the private sector goldman sachs who comes out of 4 years of the department of energy saying the most talented dedicated group of people i've ever worked with
0: amazing data scientists who are filling the organizations that are really helping us shape the future.
1: So this is the hopeful message, that in spite of the way we've treated that enterprise, the federal government, there's still enough mission-driven, dedicated people who are attracted to really the really important job of running the society that they're there. It's not completely dark, this story. And I think it's a tribute to the culture that it generates these people that's that's the happy story
0: so you went through and looked at three huge departments agriculture commerce and And, uh, energy and what made you focus on those three first of all
1: so I started with all of them on the floor of my office in in, with manila folders in the name of you know transportation state education justice Treasury blah 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 there are 15 of them and I eliminated the ones that weren't actually all that important and that's hard to do because everything's somewhat important. They're all there for a reason. But the Department of Education is pretty small,
0: right? It's usually state level, and it's state level stuff.
1: Right. So I, uh, the, so I was able to get rid of a couple on that basis, and a few, a few on the basis that they were being paid attention to. The EPA, Justice, State. So I didn't think I didn't think it was necessary to focus people's attention because the point of the book is even in places where you don't think anything's going on that you need to worry about. There are really serious things going on you need to worry about. And then after that, I sort of let the characters guide me, I found jung- where I found jungle guides who really brought things to life. And then the question was where to stop, because there, there were another four or five departments I could have done in the same vein, but I felt like what you want to do is just get the reader to the point where they understand the problem
0: and so when you outline risks it's so interesting because you know there are obvious risks oh there will be a nuclear reactor that melts down there will be a climate event that is engulfing some part of the country and part of the government's responsibility is to prepare for these risks and you would tick off different risks with people and then you come to the fifth risk and the fifth risk is well
1: think about the way you move through life it happens over and over and over you're worried each day about a few things you're worried about, you don't know your kids. You're worried about uh, being late to work or whatever it is, and what comes and bites you is usually something that you hadn't, you weren't worrying about. The mere fact you were worrying about it means you're probably paying more attention to it than you should have. It's the stuff you're not paying attention to. This is true of the society in relation to the federal government. We're not paying enough attention to it, but within the government, the people who are running it. They're not paying much attention to a lot of big things that that they're just not imagining things going wrong. They could go wrong. So, for example, the Agriculture Department runs the nutrition programs in the country really should be called either the Department for Food or maybe the Department for Rural, because a lot of it's focused on rural America. Uh, There is now this insidious movement to debase uh, the school lunch programs. To put stuff in there because food companies want it in there, you know, sweetened milk or stuff that was just would be bad for kids. Mm. I mean, th- the leverage that's in that program, I mean, tens of millions of people are on the receiving end of the food that comes out of there. If you screw up that, you, you create nutritional problems. That's a big deal.
0: And you know, what's also interesting is that when you think about that risk, which is the risk of something either a future risk climate change is a good example or the small risk it's also that it just brings up behavioral finance to me because it, our brains don't like to focus on risk it's as if to, to say that you know you don't want to think about this thing that could be a horrible thing because we don't like to go there and yet without anyone concentrating on that risk it doesn't make it Go away. You, you know?
1: know, it's really true that behavioral behavioral economics or psychologists have a lot to say about the current situation, and what they have to say is that our minds do not accurately judge probabilities. So we focus on the big, vivid risks uh, that we're constantly worried about terrorism. Two big, broad themes in American life: we're worried about attacks from outside, when actually the most dangerous things are within.
0: Well, you know, it's my best example of that is I had a friend who said to me, "I said I want to go to Israel next year." And my friend Steven says to me, uh, I'm scared to go to Israel. I'm like, "Okay, like you drive back and forth on the LIE every day, on the Long Island Expressway every day. That's what you should be scared about. You should not be scared about someone's going to bomb your LL flight to to Tel Aviv. It's just like probability wise, not going to happen.
1: Absolutely right. That's absolutely right.
0: But you can't think that way. Like people have a hard time considering those risks why that's so, why we
1: have a government Yes, yeah, it so, does it for us
0: except when it doesn't right so let's talk a little bit about the department of commerce which is you say ill-named
1: yes it should be called the department of data uh, it's it's not where all government data resides but a shocking amount of it the census is taken there all the economic statistics are accumulated there and surprisingly all weather and climate data is there because the national weather service is there piles of information that tell us about the society that you find nowhere else. Without the Department of Commerce, we don't know who we are as a people, we and, don't we, also, know, and we, we, don't, we don't know our environment.
0: Right, we don't know the environment, we don't know about the economy, we don't know about the the various uh, the census and and what so, is going on in but, there.
1: But of the I, uh, these numbers are roughly right that if the Department of Commerce spends 9 billion dollars a year, I bet 5 billion of it is spent just accumulating weather data. It's really it's more I love that. so that who who knew, right? And certainly, they didn't know. The thing that was, as I got into it, was most disturbing is you realize there's this really pretty socially critical function, the, weather, uh, the National Weather Service. It is the source of enormous uh, progress. You don't realize this, but your weather forecasts are far, far better today than they were 10, 20, or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. The weather forecasts have gotten better and better and better. Hurricane tracking, better and better and better. Uh, the possibility of of tornado prediction more and more and more likely, and the and the warning times have gotten a little better. that That service has saved lots of lives and protected lots of property. and it's a public it's inherently a public good. no No private company has the resources or the incentive to gather all the data that one needs in the world in order to make a really good weather forecast. And it's because it' it's, a, it's a, and in addition, it requires international agreements because you need data from all over the planet. So this thing with this data that's so valuable makes all that data freely available mm-hmm. to the American people and to companies that want to churn it and see if they can find better ways to predict predict the weather. The guy that Trump has nominated to run this operation is the CEO of AccuWeather.
0: So it sounds like oh he's got expertise. This must be the one area where Michael Lewis is going to tell me, thank goodness he at least is in an associated business, and yet.
1: And yet, well, there are two problems. One, it's that what he's in charge of is a big science operation, and actually he's a lawyer. And second, uh, the bigger problem is for the last two decades, he's been on a mission to gum up the National Weather Service's communication with the American people. Because if the National Weather Service doesn't communicate the weather well, people will pay AccuWeather more one way or another to do so. So he's got a private interest in the thing being dismantled.
0: And let me quote Michael Lewis, because I love this paragraph Pause a moment to consider the audacity of that maneuver, a private company whose weather predictions were totally dependent on the billions of dollars spent by the U.S. taxpayer to gather the data necessary for those predictions and on decades of intellectual weather work sponsored by the U.S. taxpayer and on international data sharing treaties made on behalf of the U.S. taxpayer and on the very forecast that the National Weather Service generated was, in effect, trying to force the U.S. taxpayer to pay all over again for what the national service might be able to tell him or her for free.
1: And this is not a trivial thing. This is not a matter of whether you bring a sweater on a trip. This is life and death stuff that the North American continent has the has the most interesting diabolical weather on the planet.
0: Of course, until there is a disaster and you have a response to that disaster, you don't pay attention to it, right?
1: That is a big part of the problem. I mean, I think as this, this is peculiarly our society how little we prepare for disaster compared to how good we are after it we're really good after a disaster yes everybody rallies you know we're really really good it's moving we make we make great TV after disasters people are helping people Mm. but but we really are not very good at preparing this is better off with Jill Schlesinger
0: we'll get back to our interview with Michael Lewis in just a minute I just want to shift away from the risk in the government, something that you really can't control, to the risk in your own life. I think that for many people, they go along, they get along, and they don't really look at these risks in their financial lives. That's kind of what the average person does. But you're not the average investor. So why are you settling for the same old average investing? there's a smarter way to manage your money betterment betterment is an online financial advisor for people who refuse to settle for average you're not average you're listening to the show come on betterment uses cutting-edge technology to build personalized portfolios and help you make more from your investments then they guide you along the way with advice to help you make smart financial decisions and all of this for one low transparent Fee. of course investing does involve risk better off listeners can get up to one year managed free by visiting betterment.com slash better off that's betterment.com slash better off and now back to our interview with the extraordinarily above average Michael Lewis It's funny I recently um, interviewed a guy named Adam twos who wrote this massive volume of uh, the history of the financial crisis right so ten years later it's called crashed And one of the things that he talked about was in response to the bubble bursting and all the horrible things that happened that it was like this weird period of time where you had this very small window where everyone was working together to try to figure out how to solve a problem and it's not unlike any other disaster that hits but then it fades and then we go back and start going to our corners and pointing fingers I guess that one of the big questions I have is that you raise these huge issues and I wonder how at much at risk are we as a country that some of the best and brightest are gonna get frustrated I have a family member who used to work at Department of Housing she says I'm here I'm staying with it I'm doing it and then she's like I can't do this she, she actually went to a, a nonprofit organization where she thought that she could do better work so how do we prevent people from leaving
1: I mean this is a problem that's been boiling for a while right it's been simmering mm-hmm. now it's on boil mm-hmm. what happens I think what's got to happen is a big rethink in the story we tell ourselves about that place and a big redesign of the enterprise itself. The pay system's antiquated. It takes 106 days on average to hire somebody in a, in a government job. If there are five times more people working in the civil service who are over the age of 60 than there are under the age of 30. Whoa. It's almost like a mirror image of a Wall Street investment bank that, that where it's all run by kids. This, there's an analogous story to tell about the technology, that most of the technology is ancient, and we're throwing a lot of money to kind of trying to keep legacy systems kind of chugging along when really where they need new systems. So the whole sector requires a lot of investment, but also a, re- a rethink, because I think, here's what I would say you know, that when you know things are getting better, when young people want to go work for it, mm. and they don't want to do that right now. So I'd almost say task someone with your czar of federal employment. Your job is to change this place so it's an attractive place for young people to work. And I think all the things they would do to do that would fix a lot of that problem.
0: So it's kind of an argument for more of a technocrat who's yes. going to come in and, like, kick some ass and move this needle to a place where we have a more modern and responsive government. You've got to
1: give him a, a big bullhorn because he's got to be – politicians need to be scared of him. The senators need to be say, yeah, we'll do that. We understand because he's explaining it to us. A leader, you know, mm-hmm. he can be, come in various forms, but it, what's needed is leadership on the issue.
0: All right. I got to get more upbeat about this. Okay. So there are great <laughs> people. <laughs> I just had like my stomach hurts right now. So there are great people in the government. We need to reshape government. You have to, and and everybody who's listening, like stop slamming the government and people and government employees. That's, that's like a good place to start. Not a like, bad place to start. You know?
1: Look for the bright spots because it it, is extraordinary what the best of them do is more important than virtually what anybody in the economy is doing. I mean, there are a couple of exceptions, but they're extraordinary points of leverage within the government, and they're extraordinarily passionate. They're firefighters. I mean, these are people who are mission-driven people. You have to keep in mind that the vast majority of them... Could be making more money outside of the public sector, and they're there doing what they're doing—working a poverty program, or working with nuclear weapons, or or working with census data—because they care about that thing, and that that feeling is precious. We ought to encourage it.
0: Before I let you go, let's talk about the Oakland A's.
1: Yeah, sorry about that.
0: What happened? I mean, like it's... Moneyball, your Moneyball team seems to keep showing up. And not winning at my, the, when it when it when
1: it matters are you saying it's my fault
0: no I'm not suggesting it's your fault I'm saying that I want I've to misled be, the
1: American people
0: pretty much also you know you had to write the book and then you also had to have a movie and why can't the thinly funded Oakland A's win beyond the first round of the playoffs Michael Lewis speak to that now <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because the gods want people to have the opportunity not to believe in what they're doing, I think. I think that uh, what you're dealing with there is some chance. Uh, but the truth is, look, they're playing the Yankees. They aren't as good a team as the Yankees. The better team won. It's amazing they got as close as they did. That, All right. That's how I think about it. All
0: right. That's a very gentle way to put it. Please come back anytime you're in New York. All right. Um, and everybody listening, the book is called The Fifth Risk. We'll have a link to it so you can, buy, you can buy many copies of it. I don't know how we make this into a movie, Michael.
1: Well, actually, it's already been bought. Yeah? Yeah. And it's, it's, I can't tell you how it's going to be it. done. But it will be done. It won't be done as a movie. It will oh, be a doc. Done. It'll be done as a very odd movie-like documentary, 15 episodes.
0: So, congratulations thank mazel you. Tov. thank you for coming in and thanks for joining us today. thanks for
1: having me you're listening to better off with Jill Schlesinger
0: after our interview segment we do talk to you and we have our listener question of the week I love answering these questions it is actually really like kind of immerses me in your lives and makes me feel like I'm useful to you and and if you'd like some help with your financial situation all you have to do is send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast dot com. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast dot com. Two chances every week to get on the air. So that is what you need to do. That's what Susan did. She is on the line from Pennsylvania. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you?
2: So I have a question for you about a non deductible traditional IRA that we started for my husband about eight years ago. Uh, we kind of did it on the side, on our own, separate from what we have done with our financial planner. And we were—we've been maxing it out, including catch-up contributions every year. <clears throat> He's now retired. We're still contributing to it because I'm still working. Um, and I kind of realized a few years after we started it that we probably should have been doing backdoor Roth conversions all along. And now it's up to about eighty-five thousand. About twenty-nine of that is is. Um, and I just don't know if it's still possible to convert it is it worth it to convert it Uh, it, it's not a huge part of our world but I I just have this feeling like we could regret it if we if we could have and we didn't well I just want to make
0: sure I understand this all of the money that's in this account it's all non-deductible contributions right yes so he was
2: yeah he was working maxing out his employer sponsored 401k um, and our income was too high to do a Roth um, and so this was like just sort of a way to put money away and have it grow without taxes but mm. it is after tax money in there okay it's just it seems like you're supposed to like put it in and flip it right away and obviously well
0: next- along the way it, it would have been probably slightly easier but I don't really necessarily see that there's a big downside to having a non-deductible contribution that you've made and leaving it alone necessarily I I guess what I'm wondering is this did your husband when he retired did he roll over his 401k or 403 B and he did and so he has a he now has a traditional IRA correct correct I think that's gonna screw you up I think okay. that that's gonna be the problem there is this really okay so this is so annoying but I I'm sorry to do it to you but here we go but anyway there's this kind of strange pro rata rule that if you have money that has not been taxed and you've got this money in a traditional IRA in order to then move things into a Roth environment you would have to basically treat everything like one big IRA for this purpose so I don't think you should do this I I don't think there's a huge downside of keeping it as is it's non-deductible keep good records don't commingle this for any reason but I don't see why there's a big downside let me ask you another question because I'm just nosy and I can do this right and I have a microphone why are you doing this on the sly you don't like your financial advisor
2: that's sort of that's sort of the bigger ah like thank you very much we, we like her we trust her we've worked with her now for 15 or 16 years and as I personally have become more educated I have had this sick feeling that we've probably lost lots of money to fees and loaded funds etc and the compromise that he and I have kind of reached for the moment and we're neither of us is opposed to wholesale pulling everything out and moving it to a Vanguard where we you know we have money there as well but what we've compromised at the moment is we're not contributing any new monies to her like I just opened a solo 401k this year I made sure that my employee contributions are going to the Roth um, and then my employer contributions will be pre-tax and we're still you know we kind of finished college funding which she's managed that's done and we're just kind of trying to put new money into much cheaper index funds with Vanguard. But okay. Yeah, that's that is, and that's that's why I haven't gone to her about this because we kind of did it on our own, and it was like
0: <laughs> you cheated on I'm her. Still, you went behind her yeah. back. You, it's like you were cheated on your advisor. All right. How much money do you have with the advisor?
2: About one point seven.
0: And you have basically paid for her advisory services by paying a commission or an asset under management fee?
2: Um, it seems to be a little bit of a blend. Like the funds that she puts us in are loaded funds like with American or Franklin Templeton, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, those kinds of things. Mm. And then her firm has like a fee. You know, they have these different clusters of, um, I, I don't like platforms, I guess mm, they call them. Mm, mm. So, And it's kind of frustrating because, really, neither of us is uncomfortable doing it ourselves. And we've been building up the money we have with Vanguard, too. It's just,
0: I don't know. You don't want to break up with her. You know that you're in a bad marriage and you don't want to break up with her. But the kids are already gone. I mean, there's no waiting around for that, right? Uh, Listen, I I don't want to get into your um, infidelity of your advisory services, but... If you I mean it sounds like you're very smart you're managing your money you're taking control you don't seem particularly afraid of this idea of managing a couple million bucks which is kind of what she's doing Uh, my suggestion to you is this there are ongoing fees that are associated with some of these funds and some of them might be worth keeping but To pay someone for services that you are not really utilizing especially when it's mostly asset management services you know you could go to a lot of places and pay a fraction of that just to get a allocated portfolio for yourself you don't have to pay commission and probably the ongoing fee is a lot less so I am going to encourage you to take this moment of the questioning on your your conversion of a non-deductible IRA to a Roth IRA and to just use this as a prompt to say well wait a minute what are we doing how much is this really costing us I mean do you like her enough to spend an extra 10 or 15 grand a year that you don't need to spend like that's a really good advisor for 10 or 15 grand I'd have to really think that person is lending value to my life and if not I think it's incumbent on you guys to sort of bite the bullet and say you know what we what are we afraid of we can do this ourselves we already have a relationship with Vanguard, we know what we're doing, and I don't know. It's like kind of throwing money out the window that you may not need to be doing.
2: Yeah, well, and I, I don't. The fees, like I know they have to provide reports, but it never is really that clear to me. I, I have observed, like what I can go on Vanguard's website and and look at, and the charts, and the way I can see gains, and the way I can just see. The expenses, it's so much more transparent than through this advisory company. And it's like, you know, they're kind of an umbrella with all these different funds under it. Mm -hmm. I do kind of worry, like, we just rolled my husband's 401K over there less than a year ago. Like, do you think we paid a bunch of money, like, loads when we did that? Or
0: You may have. I mean, look, I think it's fair to say to this person, look, we are reexamining our financial life my husband is now retired blame it on him and say you know what he really feels comfortable he would like to take over the management uh, of the of the assets because you know he's got the time to do it. How much did we pay when we rolled this money in? You can ask. You are entitled to ask that question. Yeah. You know, it's such a weird thing. It's very embarrassing sometimes. You know what I mean? Like you feel like weird because on one hand you this is at least how I feel. Like on one hand you're like, oh, I really should have known that, but I don't. <laughs> and so now I feel weird that I don't know it. And then exactly. I feel like I'm asking this question of this advisor, and she's like, why are you asking this question? But you know what? in any other instance you wouldn't like get into a car dealership drive the car off the lot and be like but what did I pay for that car
2: yeah how much was it how
0: much yeah wait what so I think it's fair to ask that if you want somebody to take a look at it on your behalf what you may want to do is have someone who is a fee only planner meaning someone who will only might say I'll charge you a thousand bucks to go through and look at this account for you give you the best advice and with every with with every idea that you will go handle this in the future that they're never going to try to sell you their services beyond that if that's something you want it may be possible to get that kind of analysis and and there are plenty of people who would do that so I mean you can go to NAPFA which is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors NAPFA org or what I can do is I can uh, if you stay on the line I have I can have mark get you some information and I can send you somebody who's in, you know maybe not be exactly where you live but close enough by where you could have like a phone call and and get some feedback but I'm pretty sure from what you're describing you're paying more than you probably should for the services that you are being delivered and I think that that's a fair reason to reassess whether or not you want to continue the relationship
2: yeah and I mean I'm 43 I'm gonna be working and contributing to these funds for and, and that's why I kind of stopped contributing to my retirement with her and I opened my 401k at banger because I thought I gotta stop the bleeding but there's still the old loop <laughs> yeah old loop.
0: I know so look what uh, let, let maybe a second opinion right here or you know it again the second opinion is to just to make you feel better I have this great sense that you know what the answer is so I'm gonna leave yeah, it um, with you there and if you need any help along the way you let us know okay
2: all right. And can I ask you one more thing? Why not? IRA. So this year, you know, we've still been putting the money, you know, this is the first full year he hasn't been employed. And so we've been putting it, I kind of tease him, it's his housewife IRA. Um, but we've been putting it in the same one. Next year, should we open up a new traditional IRA for him or just keep doing the non-deductible? Nah, I would
0: do that. How, how much money do you make?
2: Uh, about 250 No, I mean,
0: taxes are pretty low. Tax brackets are pretty low. So pay the, tax, pay the tax pay pay the tax and throw it in the non deductible. I think that's better.
2: Okay. And we'll just keep on
0: keep on. on, keeping on. You're in the twenty four percent tax bracket. Uh, you know, you can make up to three hundred fifteen thousand dollars married filing jointly in that tax bracket. I I don't think you're gonna be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. And by the way, while he is you know, being a dilettante and retired while you're toiling away, make him be <laughs> the be make him do some work and be the money manager, okay?
2: Yeah, and I think he would. I mean, we both enjoy it, so I I don't think he would have a problem with
0: that. Excellent. Uh, Fire your advisor instead of cheating, okay? All right. All right. Good luck. Thanks. Take care. Thanks again to Michael Lewis, who is now a third time guest on the Better Off podcast, which I think is a record so far, and also to our caller, Susan. We drop new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday. If you'd like to get on the air with us, don't forget you can always send us an email it's very easy ask Jill at better podcast.com ask Jill at better podcast.com our music is composed by Joel Goodman Mark Tellercio is our executive producer extraordinaire we're distributed by cadence 13 and we're sponsored by Betterment see you next week